We've been talking this month about the subject of love. We've been talking specifically about what we've called the four loves, the four major forms uh, in which love gets expressed between human beings. We've been trying to get a deeper understanding of what these dimensions are love about so that we can assess where we are in our own journey in developing them and grow perhaps more deeply in this characteristic which is God's supreme character trait, his way of moving in the world, uh, practically speaking. And in the first week, we talked about what it meant to, to live with affection. We uh, described the, uh, the, the Greek concept of storge, this, this bond between people that is an intermixture of gifts and needs and appreciation for the other. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about romance. The uh, Greek word for it is eros. I expect attendance to be especially high uh, next week when we get into that particular topic. And then we'll go on from there to close out the series at the end of the month by exploring agape, or charity, as the, uh, as the classics would have called uh, it. Uh, today, I want to think with you about the second form of love, commonly called in the Greek language uh, philia, or friendship love, the, uh, the sense of bond between people that goes by that word friendship in our time. One of the great paradoxes of our age is that many of us have got dozens and dozens of people who are our acquaintances and our companions on the journey of life, but few of us have very deep kinds of friendships. What's the difference between companionship and, and friendship, you might wonder? Well, a companion is somebody with whom we travel for a season of life. These are the people whose pictures and posts we see on Facebook or other social media challenges. They're the ones that send us the holiday Christmas cards. These are the people that we say hello to when we come to church. We pass by on the sidewalk in our communities. These are the people we may uh, interrelate with at school or at work sometimes, but we don't know them at the deepest kind of level, and they don't know us there as well. Uh, we've got many of these people, and companionship is a very good thing. I don't mean to denigrate or derogate that in any way. It's marvelous to have so many wonderful companions, people with whom I'm sure we feel some level of affection. But it is one of life's greatest blessings, one of the best things that can ever happen to you in life or through you to somebody else to experience the love of true friendship, of true friendship. Uh, I don't know about you, but Lou Smeads, one of the um, most famous of all uh, theological professors in our nation, speaks for me when he writes these words. We all want someone who knows us better than anyone else does, and yet accepts us, enjoys us, needs us, holds nothing back from us. Someone with whom we talk about things that we just don't talk about with other people and do things that we don't want to do with anyone else, at least not as much as we want to do them with each other. I'm not talking about a casual friend, writes Smeeds, uh, or a friendly acquaintance, but a best friend. 
Someone who is there for us uh, when we want to be near and who sticks with us even when being our friend costs them something. Requires a great stretch for them in one way or another. Have you got someone like that in your own life? Have you got what has come to be called a a BFF? (laughs) Someone that you think of as a best friend forever. Have you got the desire in your heart to develop that kind of a relationship with somebody, even if it's not currently uh, in your life? And are you open to thinking more about what it would really look like to have this kind of person? And what the scriptures may teach us about how to find that kind of friendship or to be that kind of friend for the people around us. Well, that's what I want to explore with you today. I want to think with you about how to form the deepest kind of loving friendships possible. And to catch a vision for this kind of way of life and the particular principles and practices that govern it, I want to take you into one of the the most marvelous uh, relationships that the Bible unpacks for us. Uh, I want to talk about the nature of friendship as it gets displayed in the relationship between Jonathan and David as it's recorded in 1 Samuel and elsewhere in the Bible. So close was the friendship between these particular individuals that the Bible says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. Whenever you see the word spirit in the Bible, it means uh, it's interchangeable with the word heart or will. He became one in heart, one in will, one in spirit with David. It was as if they shared uh, the same heart, and he loved him as himself. Many scholars believe that it was this particular friendship that David's son Solomon was thinking about when he penned the proverb famously saying that there is a friend, there is a friend who sticks even closer than a brother. Uh, You're blessed if your brothers and your sisters are also your friends. But to have a friend who will stick even closer than a family member is one of the most precious and amazing gifts of this life. The scriptures tell us that after Jonathan was killed uh, tragically on the field of battle, David never stopped grieving him. It was a hole in his heart he never could fill up because nobody could step into that place that Jonathan had occupied in his life. And David spoke of their friendship as even more wonderful, I'm quoting him there, than the romantic love, than the eros that he had with his wives. Even greater than that was the filial love that he shared with his his friend Jonathan. In fact, for the rest of his life after Jonathan died, David went about saying, is there anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? (laughs) Is there anybody that I can do something for to honor the memory of my friend Jonathan? It became a governing passion in David's life. Wow. Can you imagine somebody saying that, having that kind of commitment, that kind of passion because of the kind of friend you'd been in their life? 
it becomes easier to appreciate why David would have developed this kind of orientation when you really take a look at the kind of friend that Jonathan was to him. And as we go through 1 Samuel, there, and there's so many more uh, words there in the story that I could cover today, I'll touch on some of them. You'll want to go back and read uh, through 1 Samuel 18, through 2 Samuel. There's so many wonderful stories. But it becomes so much easier when you consider the attachment that Jonathan had to David. Uh, three separate times the Bible says that Jonathan made a covenant, which means he made a solemn commitment before God to care for his friend David. Friendship for Jonathan was a sacred commitment. It wasn't a, a, a mere social interaction. It was a sacred covenant, something between him and God. It was one of the ways that he honored God was being the kind of friend that he could be. And so he attached himself to David in this remarkable way. And so as we're, we look at some of the ways that this commitment played itself out, I want you to think about how you might, how I might let this kind of friendship be a model for how we could be the very best of friends to somebody else around us in our life. Now to understand the first uh, of the ways that this friendship gets expressed, you need to understand a little bit of the context here, the setting of the Old Testament text for today. The scene is the court of Saul. The scene is the court of the king of Israel, the very first king of Israel. And, and over the course of the past year, leading up to this particular moment, um, Saul has grown in, increasingly anxious and worked up. Heavy is the head that wears the crown or that sits in the Oval Office. This is not an easy job. And, and increasingly, it was taking its toll on Saul, and he was living this very ragged-edged kind of life. And the only thing that really seemed to settle him down, calm his nerves, was the music of a, of a shepherd boy that had been brought into the king's court to play the harp and the lyre and to sing songs and to share poetry, and somehow this just soothed the king's savaged spirits. Well, that shepherd boy, as you probably know, was named David. In time, this David showed himself to have gifts that exceeded mere poetry and music making. He was a, also equally adept on the field of battle and leadership. And, and in, in the Bible, we read the story of how David so famously goes out on behalf of Israel against the fearsome enemy Goliath. And David, seeing behind Goliath the towering strength of God, dares to do battle with this great foe and defeats him in battle. And David becomes a sensation in his time, a war hero, and someone to whom uh, people are now pledging their commitment and their uh, fealty in life. Now, I want you to put yourself in the place of Saul's eldest son, Jonathan, in this moment watching all of this unfold. You watch your dad finding more comfort in the songs of a relative stranger than in the voice of his own son. You've been trying to calm your dad down. You've been trying to do what a good son does. It's not enough. And along comes David, and somehow he has the gifts needed to bring about 
what the dad needs in this particular moment. Then you see David receiving kudos from your father for the very heroics that you'd probably wanted to have performed yourself. How many times have you thought to yourself, you know, why doesn't he notice the contributions I'm making? And here he is celebrating this other guy, somebody else's son, is getting all the glory and the credit. I know if I had been Jonathan, I might have looked for ways to exalt myself. I might have looked for ways to minimize, maybe even undermine this usurper, this man David. And yet it is precisely because that sort of insecurity is real to me, um, even in my dealings with the people I call my friends, uh, that what Jonathan does here is jaw-dropping to me. Uh, it's just jaw-dropping to me. The Bible says that Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David. Along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt, Jonathan had taken, in other words, the very best symbols of power and authority that he had. These things that he was wearing were likely gifts from his own father. They were symbols of his uh, likely um, successorship to his father as the king, the commander-in-chief over all of Israel. And, and Jonathan took these things and in front of the world offered them to David. Here, you have them. You have them. Why does he do this? Here's my guess. Jonathan saw a gift in David. He saw a gift for leadership in David greater than he knew he had himself. And because Jonathan longed to see God be glorified and the kingdom advanced, it mattered even more to him than his own ego that that gift get lifted up and used. And there's an important principle here that I think we need to take away with us. As the Apostle Paul will later put it, uh, true love is not envious or boastful. A and philia considers the active naming and nurturing of other people's gifts one of its greatest privileges and opportunities for influence. I want you to really think about this. The first characteristic of, 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 this, uh, of this attachment that is friendship is this a commitment to affirming and arming the other person with, with greater capacity to use their gifts. Are you doing that in your life right now? Is that one of the ways that that your relationships with others would be characterized uh, if somebody followed you around with a video camera and, and, and noticed the detail of how you were living your life? Is there somebody that you have in your life right now to whom you could extend an even deeper kind of friendship just by naming the special gift that you saw in them? Uh, by saying, I see in you this, this quality this capacity, you know, when I watch you in action, I just, I'm inspired by the way you do this. And I just, I wonder if that could be lifted up and used even more in, in this way or in that way. Is there an ability in one of your children or in one of somebody else's children 
that you might invest some time in to help to uh, equip further, to send them to a camp or to give them an experience or to connect them with some other mentor who could take that gift even further than perhaps you would know how to do yourself. Could God be calling you to surrender something of your own pride or your own position to lift up and empower somebody else to take that role? You know, that's hard to do. Every time I give a preaching opportunity to somebody else on the staff, uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware, well, I'm, I'm letting go of something and doing that. It's so critical that we do that. That all of the gifts in the family get developed and used. So Jonathan models something really vital for us here I want to draw attention to. Love attaches. That's the first idea I want you to hold on to. Love commits to other people through thick and thin. It doesn't just bounce off of the lives. It chooses particular people and it cleaves to those people through thick and thin. And then secondly, love affirms the gifts And it arms the potential that it sees in a friend. Jonathan does it literally with his own armor. Um, How can we be doing that with the people around us? Filial love does something else too, I think, worth noting. Sometimes one of the very best signs that somebody has moved beyond being a mere companion to somebody uh, towards Uh, being a true friend to somebody else is that he or she admonishes them, warns them about something that endangers them. Companions rarely do that, right? Companions are not going to walk into the middle of a tense subject and say, I'm concerned about what's going on in your marriage or the way you're taking care of your body or what I see in in the handling of your business dealings or the way I see you talking behind somebody's back. Companions don't do that. Even though these are significant issues, character-wrecking, life-destroying scenarios, only friends are willing to admonish, to speak the truth in love to somebody in a moment like that. I think in this regard of another incredible scene from the life of David and Jonathan, and in this particular story, David... David is becoming incredibly popular across of Israel. And in fact, people are, 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 are comparing him, they're ranking him or rating him much, much higher than Saul, verbally. And Saul is becoming really upset about this. I mean, extraordinarily insecure about this. And he's inflamed now with a paranoid kind of jealousy. And the Bible says, and I, eventually, and I quote, Saul told his son Jonathan and all his attendants to kill David, kill that guy. He's turned against him entirely. And again, I want you to put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. I mean, really, put yourself in the sandals of Jonathan in this moment, one voice inside of you is saying, look, if I sit on what I've just heard, um, if I just sit on it, I will avoid enraging dad further, and and he'll probably settle down. He'll probably cool down, and, and David will be fine. And another voice inside of him is saying, no, how can you say you 
love your father or love your friend and just do nothing about this terrible drama that's, that's about to unfold. And still another voice is rumbling, come on. If I go to David and I, I tell him what I've just heard from my father, he could turn against me as the bearer of bad news. What an incredible dilemma Jonathan faces here. Raise your hand if you like being the bearer of bad news. Right? Raise your hand if you like being the person that holds other people accountable, that dares to step in and name the tough issues. Who of us likes that job? And yet we've got people who are close to us right now who were quietly drinking themselves into oblivion, and we know it. And we have people in our lives who we know are flirting or dancing with disaster through some breach of ethic, marital, business, some other arena. Uh, there are friends in our circle, at least people we've called friends, who are leaking anger, who are bleeding hurt, who, who, who are overflowing with insecurity that is poisoning their performance. It is wrecking their credibility and their relationships in ways they just don't see at all. And what is God's voice telling us to do in response to those realities? Is God saying, oh, just ignore it a little longer. I'll take care of it for you. Just hope it'll go away. I would never want you to be in an uncomfortable position with somebody who's a, a friend. Is that the voice of God? The Bible says that Jonathan sought David out and he told him the terrible truth. I quote, 1 Samuel 19, verse 2, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. I think of the friends in my life who have been Jonathans to me in this regard. Who would come to me back when I was a smoker and say, what are you doing, man? You, what, you think you're immortal? I love you too much. I want you to live. I want you to have grandkids someday. You know, I think the people that have come and, and named it when I went over the line, I, I, I let my ego, my insecurity drive my behavior, and they gently pulled me aside afterwards and said, if you had that to do over again, would you do it just that way? Or what were you feeling in that particular moment? And what's that about for you? And is that what you want to be? It had to have been so hard for these people to walk into that space in my life because I can get mean and defensive. I can turn the table so quickly. I can point out all the things that I see wrong with them as a way of evading the truth about myself. And yet I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you sent into my life Jonathans because they have been the making of me in a very real way. I've had these friends who, who stick even closer 
than, than a brother. You know, I just think about what it would have been like if Jonathan had been alive a, a few years later when, when David was peering over that balcony at Bathsheba bathing below and was about to do something that would ruin the lives of multiple families and, and, and tear apart the entire kingdom of Israel. If only Jonathan had been there in that moment to, to admonish his friend. Think what heartache and pain could have been spared. And if only you and I will commit ourselves to truly admonishing in love uh, some of the people in our lives in the days ahead, who knows what kind of redemptive story might get written instead of a, a very sad story um, that will otherwise unfold. What a friend Jonathan was. <sighs> Just an amazing story. I, I could show you other times when somebody was attacking David and, and running him down, it would have been so easy for Jonathan just to, to keep silent or, or to join in becoming a backstabber. How often do you hear that happening in circles of ostensible friendship in our, in our day? All of the gossip that goes on behind the back of our friends. Blaise Pascal once observed that if all men knew what others say of them behind their back, there would not be four friends in the world. And it's not because the things we say behind our friends' backs aren't true. It's because we lack the guts to say, I love you, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this pattern I see in you. Instead, we're told Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. I want you to kill that David. No, Dad. David's a good man. He spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. Here's another thing that filial love does. It advocates faithfully for people behind the scenes. Um, it, it, it advocates for people when they're not there to advocate for themselves. And more than once, that advocacy saves David's life. It saves his life. What kind of an advocate are you for the people in your life? Are you praying for your friends? Are you advocating before the Father for the needs of your friends? When others are running them down, are you willing to say, hey guys, this is not what we do. We're friends. We got an issue. Let's take it directly to him or to her. Are you an advocate like Jonathan models? You know, there's one final act of love which Jonathan displays that I, I want to focus on in closing for us today. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, we find the last recorded encounter between David and Jonathan before the BFF, Jonathan, is cut down in battle. And the scene is in David's secret hideout. David is, has got a, um, a place he's run away to in the desert of Ziph, uh, where he's just sheltering himself against the prowling uh, bands now of assassins sent by Saul to find him. And Saul has declared David a national traitor. 
and the king's armies are sort of roaming like packs of ISIS bands looking to try and take David out. He is the infidel. He's the one disloyal, Saul believes, and therefore needs to be killed. We can only guess how utterly despairing David was at this point. I mean, the guy had really tried to serve Saul. He had tried to do the right thing. He'd had opportunities to kill Saul in his sleep and not taken them. And now he's hunted. And he's hiding in the rocks, hoping against hope that he won't be found, knowing that eventually they're going to find him. And all of a sudden, there's the crack of a twig that snaps in the darkness. And you can imagine David, his heart's pounding out of his chest, and he whirls in the darkness to see what it is. And he reaches for his sword, and he sees emerging through the firelight the face of his forever friend, Jonathan. And the grin spreads on their faces as they see each other. They throw their arms around one another. And then we hear the words of Jonathan speaking. Words that seemed naive, that seemed crazy in a sense, in the darkness of that terrible hour, but within the year would prove actually to be prophetic words. Jonathan says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Where else do you hear that phrase in the Bible? On the lips of every angel you meet. It's the voice of God speaking to insecure, terrified, fear-driven humanity. Be not afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. The scriptures say that Jonathan traveled all the way out to the desert of Ziph for this one purpose, and I quote 1 Samuel 23 and 16, he helped David find strength in God. He came to help him find strength in God. Brothers and sisters, there are times when we just don't know how to help our friends. They've gotten themselves into something so deep or they're just dealing with one of those seasons in life that is just so difficult that there's nothing we really know how to say or do to get them out of the pain and the darkness of what they're in. But we can help them seek God. We can help them find strength in God. There are people you know out there right now who just need somebody who will move beyond mere affection mere companionship to this deeper kind of love in their life, to the philia of friendship. There's somebody that you know, there's somebody that God's going to bring a name to mind about who, who needs a friend who will aspire for them, for their success, for their fulfillment of God's purposes in them the way Jonathan aspires for David here. They need somebody who will help them find the strength that can only be found in a deeper relationship with God. Will you love other people in those ways this week? Will you be the kind of person that will love others in these ways? Do not do this because I'm telling you to do this. Do not do this out of duty or obligation. Do not do this out of a fear that that you'll be judged if you do not do this. Do it out of delight and opportunity. Be a friend to someone else. 
because of who has already befriended you. Think about that. You see, you and I have a friend who has also attached himself to us with a forever kind of commitment, a pour out my blood for you kind of commitment. He gave up all that he had to affirm our worth against all the voices of insecurity and fear. He offers us his spirit to arm us with what we need to fulfill our great potential. And our friend gives us his word to admonish us and challenge us towards what we can be, as I hope we felt challenged and admonished in the best sense this morning, towards what we can be. Our friend advocates our case each and every day. The scriptures say before his heavenly father, he pleads for our case. And one day his aspirations for you and for me are going to be completely fulfilled. And one day, if we stay with him, we will be like him in every way. I have called you friends, says Jesus. I have called you friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. And this now is my command, that you love each other. Please pray with me. Gracious God, keep us from ever forgetting what a friend we have in Jesus. Keep us ever mindful of how badly other people need us to love them as you have loved us, as you love them. Then send us forth newly committed to being for at least one or two other souls the very best of friends forever. For this we pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said.